Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Old Testament passage of the book of Judges. The Old Testament book of Judges in chapter number 6. We are on the downhill slope of our series of the book of Judges. We are taking the book of Judges, Joshua, Samuel, and Ruth, and we're placing them in chronological order. Basically, we're seeing how they happened in time. And as we're approaching the downhill slide, we are going through this period of the judges and we're examining the lives of each of these judges as they appear in Scripture and learning more about them and how God works with his people. Remember, the period of the judges can be classified like this, that it is a time where there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Then it was a period that people said, I determine what's right and wrong. And it led to a period of chaos, anarchy, a place where people were no longer searching God, but they were just trying to please themselves. Because of that, all kinds of awful, horrible, terrible things occurred. And we see that God would go through different cycles. That what would happen is that the people would disobey God. Because of that, there's consequences. And they would be sent into the judgment where an enemy nation would rule them or oppress them in some way. Then the people would finally come to their senses at different lengths. And they would cry out to God. God would send a deliverer for a small amount of time. They would search up to God until the judge died. And then what happens is they would slip back into chaos and they would once again disappoint God and the cycle would go over and over. And as we have examined here, we've already went through several of the judges. The first judge was Onethiel. Remember, he was the only judge that nothing wrong was said about him. He was he was virtuous and everything. He wasn't rejected anything. Next we came Ehud. Ehud was the left-handed judge. And remember in society in those times, it was not kosher. It was not socially expect, uh, acceptable to be left-handed. So for you left-handed people like I, we would be outcast uh, because of that. We would be looked down upon. Then after that, you had Shamgar. Shamgar was used of God to win one battle. Praise the Lord. He defeated 600 uh, Philistines. Unfortunately, he stopped fighting. He got that one battle, got the one victory, and then he stopped. And things became worse. The last judge we came to was Deborah and Barak. Remember that Deborah, even though she was uh, administrating and she was giving people wisdom to God, she was not considered an official judge because she was a lady. Remember the word judge is not like we would have judges sitting on a bench, but a judge was a military chieftain and it was not proper to have a lady as a general leading the army. So she, they pulled Barak out and Barak, instead of obeying God completely, he said, I need, uh, I just don't need God. I also need Deborah to be with us. And so they, God got the victory but Barak did not get credit for it. And again, it was all kinds of things that was not socially acceptable. Each one of these judges have some issues. Now we come to the next judge. 
we come to the man named Gideon. And we're actually going to be exploring Gideon's life for the next several messages. We'll hit a special message tonight speaking about Gideon and his fleece. But let's introduce ourselves to Gideon and the book of Judges in chapter number 6. Judges chapter number 6. And notice with me starting at verse number 1. Judges 6 and verse 1, the word of God says this. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And God delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them in the dens which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east... Even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou comest to Gaza and left no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers for multitude for both they and their camels were without number and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them off from before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord that sat under an oak, which was in Orphrah, that pertaineth to Joash, the Abinezerite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said to him, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles, which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, that thou might save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, for I come unto thee, and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I tarry till thou cometh again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes with an ephod of flour. And the flesh he put in a basket, and he brought the broth in a pot, and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Take the flesh of the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. 
Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there arose a fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. When the Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day it is yet in Orpha of the Aborizanites. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it. And built an altar unto the Lord on the top of the rock in the ordered place, and take the second bullock to offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou hast cut down. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord said unto him. And so it was, because he feared his father's household, that the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. And when the men of the city arose in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, and the grove was cut down, was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. And they said one to another, Who had done this thing? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, had done this thing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, Bring out thy son that he may die, because he hath cast down the altar of Baal, and because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. And Joash said to all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will you save him? And he that will plead for him, let him be put to death while it's yet morning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one is cast down his altar. Therefore, on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he hath thrown down his altar. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a name of God that we find in the book of Judges, chapter number 6? The book of Judges, chapter number 6, and verse 24, notice the name of God, Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. And that we understand to mean the Lord of our peace. The Lord of peace. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. And if you're in the habit maybe of subtitling things, we could put this, God's presence is our peace. God's presence is is our peace. Jehovah Shalom, Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace, that we understand here that God's presence is our peace. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's talk to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, I'm just asking that you would show yourself alive, that you would show yourself real, that you would plead for yourself and that your spirit would do its own work today, that you would make yourself known unto these people that there is a real, true, living God. I'm asking the Lord that when we understand that you're a living God and that we have your presence, that you would give us such a peace. Let us seek for your presence. Let us seek for you. Help us to be able to find you. And that's what we want today. We are coming to you, preaching this message, seeking for you in your presence. And we're asking that you could be found of us today. 
and that you would make yourself known. Again, the best I know how, I surrender myself to you and beg that you fill me with your precious spirit, that you could get your own work accomplished through your precious word now. Do a work that we couldn't even describe by the time it's all said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. And we know that God's presence brings us peace. The Lord's presence is our peace. As we examine the book of Judges here, we can see that it starts off and there's some hard times here and that there are already judgments coming and things are falling apart. The first thing I'd like to show you from this passage is God's prophet. God's prophet. Now notice with me in Judges chapter 6 and in verse number 1, notice the condition they're in right now. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Midian seven years. So God is, once again the people stopped serving God. Once again the people serving other gods. Once again they've ignored God, ignored His rules. So God has to do something to, to get their attention. So He puts them in the hands of the Midianites. If you're someone who likes genealogies, where do the Midianites come from? Remember that Abraham had a dear wife by the name of Sarah, and Sarah produced Isaac. We know that before they had uh, Isaac, that Abraham was able to, had a concubine, a second wife by the name of Hagar, and they had Ishmael. But after Sarah died, God allowed Abraham to get married once again to a lady by the name of Keturah. And he had many sons and daughters by Keturah. And the Midianites are an extension, are the descendants from Abraham and Keturah. So this is where the Midianites come from. <clears throat> and they end up being um, a representation of the world. They continue just to plague Israel from time to time again. But notice, if you don't mind, as we go through here, so the Midianites are oppressing the people for seven years. Do you realize it took seven years for the Israelites to say, you know what, maybe we should actually talk to God and pray. Maybe we should actually see if God will get involved. You know, as much as we'd like to condemn them, isn't seeking God sometimes the last thing we do? That we let the problems get so big that we finally say, I think I'll finally pray. Or we'll say, I don't have any other choice. The only thing I can do is pray. When pray was what we should have done in the first place. Notice in verse number 2. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel were made, uh, made them dens which were in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And it was so when the Israel had sown that the Midianites came up with the Amalekites and the children of East. Even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till thou comest to Gaza and left no substance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor assin. And it talks about them coming like grasshoppers. What had happened is that the Israelites, they would go out and they would plant crops. Crops is what's necessary to have control of food is to have control of culture and society. And so you need that food source. You need to make things uh, have things taken care of. And so what happened is that they planted, they toiled, they worked, they sweated, they weeded. And now it's time for harvest. And as harvest is coming here, that's when the Midianites and all the armies went from the other side of the Jordan River. And they swept across like a plague of locusts. And they took everything they wanted and everything that they could not bring with them, they burnt. So now the people have no food. 
And so the people start hiding in dens and caves and they're trying to survive and not be killed and they're making their crops again. So that's year one. Year two, once again, they plant, they toil, they sweat. And now the crops are ready. Here's the Midianites and everyone else. They come sweeping like a great plague and they destroy all the crops again. They take everything they want and anything they can't use, they burn down. So the people are starving second year in a row. Year three, the same thing. Year four, year five, year six, year seven. Can you imagine seven years of having your neighbors burn down your food and you have nothing to eat? There's nothing in the stores. There's nothing you can do and nothing for your animals, nothing for your horses, nothing for your sheep, nothing. The crops are burnt and the people are surviving the best they can. It took them seven years of living like this before they decided, you know what? I think some of us should probably pray and ask God to help us out. Isn't it amazing the hardness of hearts of men that they refuse to turn to God even when things are horrible? And again, we need to be careful because we get in that same boat. That we refuse to pray. We refuse to seek God. Until we have no other choice. And things are bad. So bad that we finally. Okay I think I'll look for God now. But that's what happened. So they finally get around and say. God please help. God do something. Verse number six. And Israel was greatly impoverished. Not just impoverished or very poor. But greatly impoverished. Because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel. Cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet or a preacher unto the children of Israel. So the preacher comes, God sends a preacher, and the preacher comes with this message. What is this message that God had the preacher preach? Verse number um, 8. And the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drave them out before you and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but... Ye have not obeyed my voice. What is the biggest charge here? What is the sin that God said? You stop looking at me as God. You stop looking at me as God. And because of that, this is what the consequences are. You know, Gideon's going to complain a little bit later and say, Where's God at? Where's this God of the miracles? Well, God did not leave them. They left God. It's almost like the old guy in a pickup truck and his wife and his wife is on the other side of the truck and the man's behind the steering wheel and the wife looks and longingly and says, you remember the days we were so close that as we drove down the road, uh, you had your arm around me and just helped me close. And he looks over across there and says, I didn't move. You understand that we left God. We're the ones who went away. We're the one. God didn't go anywhere. It is us that left. It is us that walked away. Us that said, I think my way's better. I don't want to walk that path. You know, the Bible talks about Amos 3, 3. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? You know what happens when you're walking with God? You agree with him. 
You say, I want this path. I want to walk beside you. I want to do what you said. I want to go with you. But when God is so far away from us, it is not because God left the path. It is because we did. And that's what God is sending this preacher to go by. It is not God's fault. It's your fault. You decided you wanted some other way. You decided you didn't want to go to my house anymore. You decided you didn't want to spend time with me anymore. You decided that you, it was the people's fault, not God's fault. And you know what God is doing? He's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to punish the people. You know what he's doing? He's trying to get them to come back. He's trying to say, I love you so much. I have to get your attention. I want you to willingly come back. And I have to direct your path. I have to put all this stuff in. So the preacher's going up here and saying, it's not God's fault. We left God. He did not leave us. You know, we're talking about God's presence. You know why God's presence sometimes isn't evident in our life? It's because we left. Do you understand that you can read your Bible every day? You could show up to church. You could even teach a Sunday school class and God be so far away from you. You know, you could read your Bible and not seek after God. You can make an academic thing. You could make it so you're reading words on a page. But if you're not seeking after God in your Bible reading, you're not finding him. God wants to be found, but he wants us to put forth the effort to look for him. And if God seems like he's so far away from us, it is our fault and not God's fault. God's presence gives us a peace. But when we don't have God's presence, it's because we left. It's because we went somewhere else. So this preacher is going up and down Israel and he's preaching this message. Isn't it interesting that God mentions this? This is the only time after this, this passage here, it's gone. We don't even know who this preacher is. Now God switches gears and he goes away from God's prophet and he goes to God's pick. The second thing I want to show you is God's pick. So. Nationally, people have left the Lord, but God says, I want them to come back. I want to deliver them. People are crying. I have to send a message. I don't want to just deliver them this time because I want to tell them why they left me. It's not good enough. We've already found four times already that delivering them is not enough. Now we have to tell them why these things are happening because you left me. Now, Let's go get this deliverer. After we've warned everybody why this is happening, let's go get this deliverer. So we see God's pick. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 11. It says, and there came an angel of the Lord. Now, whenever you see the word angel of the Lord, most of the time, this is a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. This is actually Jesus Christ in the flesh. Do you know who goes visits Gideon that day? It's not some mystical spirit. It's not an angel with wings. It's Jesus. Jesus comes down from heaven. Jesus himself comes and finds Gideon. And it is Jesus in the flesh before he came on earth during uh, uh, Mary's time to die on Calvary. He came on the earth. Jesus is there physically, bodily, and he goes, finds Gideon. Notice in verse number 11 again. And there came an angel of the Lord, which sat under the oak, which is found in Orphrah, Pertaining to Joash, the Ebenezerite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So what Jesus does is Jesus is sitting by this winepress. 
And Gideon is coming, minding his own business, and he's looking. You see, Midian is hiding his crops. Remember, every year what is happening is that the Midianites are coming and burning the crops. So the people are getting inventive of where they're putting the crops at. So here's a wine press, and what they're doing is beside the building, kind of like in an alleyway, maybe something, they were building crops. Now, it may not grow as much and, and may not have uh, the best sunlight and stuff, but he's hiding it somewhere, and he's making his own crops, and he's checking on it every day. And as he's walking to go check up on his crops, and you can almost see him looking, please don't let the Midianites be here. There's a guy that's sitting right there in front of him waiting for him. It's Jesus waiting for Gideon to come on his path. Now notice what Gideon, uh, Jesus talks to Gideon, verse number 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, so Jesus is talking to Gideon, the Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Now that almost doesn't make sense. Here's Gideon. He's looking around like a nervous guy. He's trying to hide. And Jesus says, how you doing, mighty man of valor? How you doing, you mighty honorable warrior? That's not me. That's not me. But mighty man of valor. Jesus says, I'm with you. How you doing? I'm with you. He says, the Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. Now Gideon looks to Jesus and says, oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why is all this befalling us? And where is all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? And now that the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. You know, he starts complaining. The preacher's already been going through and everyone's heard his message saying it's not God's fault. It's your fault. But here's Gideon. He still didn't get it. It's all God's fault. Where is he at? He's abandoned us. Don't you see how horrible things are? Do you understand that the, even our world right now, our world's a mess. But it's not God's fault. You know whose fault it is? It's Christians. It's because we failed to live like Christians. We failed to influence our world. We allowed us to go to the period of the judges. When you look at the news, it's not the liberals' fault. It's not the abortionists' fault. It's not Washington's fault. It's not Madison, Wisconsin's fault. It's our fault. Because we failed to seek after God. We failed to let God be God. We failed to live for Him. But here's Gideon blaming God. It's we're, the world we're living is a mess. Where's God? I thought He was supposed to take care of us. Yes, but God doesn't erase consequences that we cause ourselves. And so verse 14, Jesus speaks to him again. And the Lord looked upon him and said, go this in thy might and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? Now he's already called him the mighty man of valor. Now Jesus says, guess what? You are going to be used to deliver the uh, conquer the Midianites. Here's Gideon. He's hiding. You understand? This is a guy that's almost mouse like. Looking around, please don't let anybody be there. Please don't talk to me. Please don't. And he's there and God says, you're going to be used to deliver the Midianites. That sounds opposite. Aren't you glad we have a God who can see what we can do even when we can't see it in ourselves? God can see what we can do. He can see what we're supposed to do. He can see our potential. He can see things in us that we can't see in ourselves. What a wonderful Savior. And Gideon, he, if you told him that he was going to go deliver people, he'd probably run. Hey, he doesn't tell him. He says, I'm going to use you to deliver, but he didn't give details. If he told him, hey, by the way, you are going to go with just 300 men 
and you're going to conquer all of that. And he probably said, never mind, I, I quit. Uh, why do I say that? Because he's a scaredy cat and he's all that way, all the way through this chapter. Is he's scared. He's scared and that fear motivates him so much that he's even willing to be disobedient to Jesus because of his fear. Now notice what goes on as we continue on. Notice with me in verse number uh, 14. Uh, and the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, Gideon's talking to Jesus, O oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. You know what he's saying? How can you use me? I'm nothing. I'm poor. I'm nobody. I'm a small little shrimp of a guy. I'm a small little shrimp of a guy. Who's going to follow? You know, he's he's saying, I'm nothing. What do you mean? I'm going to go use battle. Don't you understand? They pick on me. All the kids at school, they tell me that I'm I, I'm a wimp and I'm nothing. And, and, and please don't hurt me. He's He doesn't carry the idea of battle general. He carries the idea of the whipping boy. Have you ever met someone that oh, everyone picks on just because that's the way they carry themselves? That's Gideon here. He, he, just, he just draws it in. And Gideon's saying, please, please, it's not me. Why choose me? Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, surely I will be with thee. And thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. You know, this is the second time in this that God said, I will be with thee. You know, in order to get something accomplished, we need God's presence. And twice, God told him, now remember, this isn't just God. This is Jesus robed in flesh. Can you imagine Jesus coming to you in the flesh and said, I will be with thee. Twice, he says that. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. You're not by yourself. God plus one is always a majority. You know why you can face anything? If God is with you. As long as you know God is with you, you can face anything. And so God's presence is all we need. You know, Gideon is a small guy. He hasn't been trained. He's not powerful. He's not brave. You know what's going to make the difference? Jesus is with him. You may not think that you're anything. You may think that you can't speak. You can't talk. No one's going to listen to you. You know what's going to make the difference? If God's with you. If God is with you. That's what you need, dear friend. To have victories in your life. It's not you, by the way. It's Jesus that gets the victories. He's the one that's going to go with you. I don't care if you have the poochy lip disease. and Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll eat some worms. Woohoo! You may think that you are the, the worst person in all the world. That you are the least capable person in all the world. That you're the weakest, the most frail, the most troubled, the most problems. But God still wants to use you. Because it's him that will get the battle. All you have to do is say, all right, God is willing to use me. Your greatest ability is your availability. If you allow God, God can use every single one of you. But you have to allow him. You have to allow him to do the work, but God can use you. It's his presence that makes the difference. Which brings us not only God's pick. We saw God's prophet. We saw God's pick. But now we see God's peace. God's peace. 
Notice with me in verse number 19. Now what happens is that Gideon says, I need some proof. I need this double check. So if you don't mind, show me a sign that I found grace and I'm going to go get you some food and uh, I'm going to give it to you. And so verse number 19, Gideon went in and made ready a kid. So this is a goat and unleavened cakes of ephod of flour. Aren't you glad we have a patient God? He decides he's going to go cook and he tells Jesus, stay right there. I don't know if I would do that, but he says, stay right there. I'm going to go make some things. So he takes a kid. He takes a goat. By the way, it's not like microwave. He has to kill it. He has to skin it. He has to prepare it. He has to cook it. He has to make the soup. He goes through this whole thing. And Jesus is patiently waiting. Don't we have a patient God? And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephod of flour and flesh he put in a basket and he bought the broth in a pot and brought it out to him under the oak and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon the rock and pour them on the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes and there arose fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh. And the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Man, wouldn't that be an amazing thing? That Gideon goes and he makes the supper and he places it on the rock. Jesus takes his staff and touches it. And the rock burns with fire up to heaven. Just consumes everything. Showing this is a supernatural thing. And Gideon, whoa. Notice Gideon's reaction, if you don't mind. In verse number 22. And when Gideon perceived he was an angel of the Lord, you know what Gideon did? He recognized it was Jesus. He recognized this was God and that this wasn't just an angel. It just wasn't a person. This was Jesus that was there. And he said, he perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. Gideon said, oh, alas, oh, Lord God, for I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said unto him, now, Jesus took off. But then he talks back to Gideon and says, by the way, peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. He understood he just spent time with God. He spent time with Jesus. And now he's like, oh, man. Oh, and God's saying, calm down, calm down. There's peace in there. I'm not going to destroy you. I have plans for you. Verse 24. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord of our peace. And to this day, it is an Orpha of the Aborigines. So Gideon built this altar and he says, the Lord is my peace. You know, God's presence is our peace. Do you know that this concept is all throughout the word of God? Hold your finger here and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of Exodus. Exodus in 33. And let me show you the most biblical passage dealing with Bible separation found in In the word of God. The book of Exodus in chapter number 33. Remember Exodus is dealing with Moses. And in the book of Exodus. God is talking with Moses. And in Exodus 33. Notice if you don't mind. In Exodus 33. And verse number 11. um, Moses has already led the children of Israel. Out of Egypt. He's led them across the Red Sea, given them the 20, uh, 12, uh, 10 commandments and Exodus 20. 
And now God is speaking to him personally. Notice with me Exodus 33 and verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh to his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast... Also found grace in my sight. Now Moses is saying, I know you got a big job for me. I just need confirmation that I'm doing what you told me to do. He says, verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. That I might find grace in thy sight and consider this nation thy people. Do you know what he's asking for? He's saying, God, I want to know thee. It's amazing that the two greatest Christians who ever lived, Moses and Paul, at the height of their ministry, both had the same prayer, that I may know thee. God, I want to know you more. You see, they're not satisfied with knowing facts about God. They want to know him experientially. They want to know, they want to experience him. He says, God, I'm not looking for signs and wonders. I'm looking for you. If I have you, that's all I need. Notice as he goes on. Verse 14. And he said, that's God. My presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. You know what God's presence does? It gives us peace. If you know God is with you, you know everything's going to be fine. If God is there, there is such a peace. That's what we need more than anything We need God's presence. Notice as it goes on in verse 15. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry me not up hence. Moses said, If you don't go with me, I'm not going. I want your presence. By the way, that's a biblical thing. I don't want to go anywhere without Jesus. I don't want to approach this pulpit without knowing Jesus is with me. Knowing that God is there. If God is with us, we could face it all. Without God, we're nothing. Notice verse 16. For when with it, uh, for within shall it be known that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? He says, you want to know how we know that we found grace in your sight? Because your presence is here. We have you. Notice this. Because we have your presence, so shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are on the face of the earth. This is the most biblical statement of Bible separation found in the Bible. You know that we don't need a list of rules and regulations. Now, those are helpful. But you know what happens? That if we have God's presence, God automatically changes our desires. Things we loved before have passed away. Things I love far more have come to stay. God changes our desires. You know what happens? That when we have God's presence, there are things that we used to like doing that we don't no longer care for. I no longer want to watch that show. I no longer want to listen to that music. When we have God's presence, He automatically pushes those things out of our life. That when we have God's presence, we don't need a list of regulations. When we are seeking to please God, we will automatically do what's right. That's a wonderful thing. That is the most biblical thing of separation we can have. Not trying to say, preach against this and preach against That's necessary because we want to know what's right and wrong. But you know what? You don't need that. You know what you need most of all? God's presence. 
And God's presence will change your desires. He will push those things out. You will be separated from the world. You can no longer get along with the world. Meaning go watch their things and enjoy it. No longer do those things. God changes you. When God has his presence on you. You change. It changes automatically. We understand that anyone can make themselves look good on the outside. But it's the heart that needs to change first. The one thing that we try to do here, we want people to do right, act like, and dress right. But we don't start there. We begin with God. My biggest thing is that if I could get you to seek God for yourself, I don't have to teach so much on dress standards. I don't have to teach so much on carnalities and things of the world. My job is to keep pointing you to God and God will change you from the inside out. God's presence brings peace. God's presence changes us. That's the key. It's all about God. When you seek for God, you change automatically. Things are separated out. I don't have to spend so much time preaching on these surface things. If I preach on God and you're looking at God, everything else changes. There's less fights, there's less friction, there's less everything. If we're all looking towards God, we're moving the same way together. That's what Moses is saying. And we'll be separated from the world. We don't have to fight rock music coming in the church if everyone's seeking for God because we'll have no desire for it. Does that make sense? It's all about God's presence. Turn back with me to the book of Judges chapter 6. So we started with God's prophet. That God sent a prophet to tell him the reason why this is happening is not because of God. It's because you left God. You left God's presence. That was the problem. That he had God's pick. That he said, Gideon, I'm choosing you. And Gideon's like, I'm nobody. And God says, but my presence is all you need. Twice he gave Gideon his presence. Once he says, I'm sending you. Jesus himself. Could you imagine what a wonderful thing is? Jesus himself standing before you and saying, you go and I'm right behind you. I'm going with you. Let's go together. He had Jesus himself. It wasn't through a prophet or a message. It was Jesus himself. What a wonderful encouragement. Then we see God's peace. That when we have God's presence, we do have God's peace. That things got settled. He realized who it was. And he was scared. Oh no, I just got through talking with God. And God says, it's good. It's fine. Let's go together. Now we come to the fourth thing here. God's proving. God's proving. You know, God does put little tests in our life. Now, again, if he told Gideon that what's going to happen is you're going to go fight all the armies with 300 men, he would bolt. (laughs) You know that we're not prepared for some of the things that God has for us in our life. We can't handle it. That's why God doesn't tell us. But what he does do is try to get us to practice. So he gave him something small to see how he handled it. Say, all right, I'm going to give you something small. Let's see how you do with that. And we're going to build up to this other thing. So notice we have God's proving. Verse 25. And it came to pass that same night that the Lord said unto him, Gideon, take thy father's young bullock and the second bullock of seven years old and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. Now, here's Gideon's dilemma. His dad is worshiping a false god. I meant, so he's going against his household. He's living with his dad. And his dad is in the center of town. In the center of town, they have this altar to Baal, a false god. And beside it, they have a grove. Remember in the grove in the Bible is 
it deals with woods, but it has the idea where people are worshiping false gods through sexual means. And so it's not a good thing that's going on. It's basically, they're worshiping nature and they're trying to please nature. And we even have that elements uh, within our society today. And so God says, I want you to destroy this false altar. I want you to get rid of this grove where the sexual sins happen. I want you to destroy it all. And I want you to put this, build an altar to me. And I want you to sacrifice these kids on it. And this is what I want you to do. So God gave him direct instructions. Exactly what to do. Notice in verse 27. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord said unto him. And it was because he feared his father's household that the men of the city, he could not do it by day that he did it by night. So here's Gideon. Once again, his character is that he's a fraidy cat. He didn't want people to catch him. He didn't want to go up there. So we get ten guys. And he didn't want his dad to get mad at him. He didn't want the townspeople to get mad at him. You know, God's presence helps us to face those people. But even now, he's not trusting in God. He's saying, all right, I'll do what God told me to do. Hey, guys, can you help me out? And then he snuck out in the middle of the night. He didn't want to get caught, didn't want to do anything. He's afraid what people are going to say. And he tears down the altar, pushes it down. And notice what goes on, if you don't mind, in verse 28. Um, and he did it by night. He knocked it down, burnt all the stuff, and then hurried up and got to bed and said, all right, I'm in bed. I'm safe. <sighs> well, the next morning, the guys in the town, they wake up early in the morning and they go to worship their false gods and the altar's destroyed and the groves burnt down. By the way, you know what God told Gideon to do with that wood? He told him to burn it on the altar. Let's get rid of all of that too. Burn it down. So there's a big fire that went on and he burnt it all down. And the people got up and they're upset. Someone burnt down our altar. Someone told us that we couldn't do our sexual sin. Someone said we can't live the way that we want to. And they had all of this going on. They're upset. They're ready to string up Gideon. So they start asking questions in verse 29. They find out it's Gideon. So what they do is they go knocking on the door of Joash. Verse 30. Now remember Joash, Gideon's father, actually worshipped using these groves and using this false altar. So he also is affected by this. So the men start saying, Joash, give us Gideon. We heard that he did it. You give it to us and we're going to string him up. I don't see how you could let this guy, this bigot, this racist guy to stay in your house. Don't you understand? We have freedom of love and freedom, all this other stuff. Bring him out and we'll show him how much tolerance we have. That sounds familiar, huh? Anyways, and so Joash... Something happened to him. He stood up uh, and said, will you plead for Baal? Basically, are you begging for this false God, for this God? Will you save him? Are you going to save this God from being destroyed? Is that your job to save this God? He says, he that will plead for him, let him be put to death. He says, if your God can't stand up for himself, then you need to die. He says, let your God stand for himself. He says, uh, if he be a God, let him plead for himself because one cast down his altar. You know what the difference between our God and other gods are? Is that our God is real and he could do something about it. You could do all you want to a statue of Buddha and guess what? It won't do a single thing to you. You could get any other false God and it won't do a single thing because they're not real. Our God is real and he could take care of himself. And Joash is saying, listen here, if Baal is real... Let Baal defend himself. You don't have to do Baal's work. 
if he's real, do it himself. So because of that, uh, Gideon got a brand new name. Notice his name. On that day, he called him Jerubabel, saying, let God plead against him because he had thrown down his altar. If you're in the habit of writing things down, underline that name, write a mark, because this is the name for Gideon that is going to be used quite a bit in the Bible. And it's going to be used interchangeably. In fact, anytime Gideon is doing something good, it's going to use his name Gideon. Anytime it's doing something bad, it's going to use uh, Jerubabel. So it's just one of those things. You need to know that this is Gideon and his na- this name is going to show up quite a few times in the next several chapters. So you just need to know this is Gideon so you're not confused. Who is this guy? This is Gideon. But you understand that God is real. Remember, we're talking about God's presence, that God's presence brings peace. And that these false gods, they don't have a presence and they can't bring peace because they can't even defend themselves. It's an interesting fact that the angel of the Lord is used 80 times in the Old Testament. 20 times the angel of the Lord is used in the book of Judges. And seven of those times it's used in conjunction for for Gideon. Do you know that Gideon had a special privilege to talk to Jesus face to face several times? And that Gideon gave, was given special instructions from the mouth of Jesus. Do you know that God gives us a great comfort when we know it comes from him? When we got God's clear commands and we clearly obey what God has given us to do, there's such a peace. When God is with us and we seek for him and we have his presence, everything else falls away. No wonder it is said, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. When we have God's presence, we have peace. If lately your life has not been very peaceful, there's been turmoil and strife and frustration, even in things dealing with the Lord. I know I'm supposed to do this thing. The pastor's given us to do this thing, but I don't want to. Well, there's peace when it comes when you say, God, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. There's a peace that comes from your even your Bible reading. When you read it and say, God, help me to find you. God promised he'll show up. You know, there's a difference between dry, lifeless Bible reading and Bible reading that's alive. What's the difference when you're seeking after God? Now, we're not talking about something spooky or supernatural. But let me, know, let me tell you something that the Bible says in the book of John that my sheep hear my voice and they know me. You know, when you read your Bible and God speaks to you, you know it's him. But there's many times that we all get in the trap that we just read our Bible and they're just words on the page. Or maybe they're academic. We see facts and figures, but we don't seek after God and he doesn't show up. You know what we need every day to face the challenges we have? And many of you have got big challenges, whether it's family, whether it's finances, whether it's health, whether it's work. You know what we need? We need God's presence. You can face family if you know that God is with you. You can face financial problems if you know that God is with you. You could face health problems as long as God is with you. You could face things at work if you know that God is with you. If you haven't had peace, let me tell you what you're missing, dear friend. It's not a new church home. It's not a new thing here. You're missing God's peace. You're missing God's presence. And what you need, dear friend, is to spend time with God. Not just dry, dead Bible reading. 
You know, every time you read your Bible, you should say, Lord, show me yourself. And he will show up. If you desire to find him, he will be found. Like I said, I know plenty of people, even lost people, who read their Bible every day and God doesn't speak to them. And I'm not talking about something mystical or spooky where the uh, angelic light show down and you go, ah. But the Bible says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. That you could read your Bible and you can know that God has given this to you. That he has spoken to you. That it, the words show up. And when you know God has showed up, you could face whatever God has given to you. Again, you could be in the church and you could carry a Bible and you could do everything you're supposed to and still not have a peace and still not have God's presence. God's presence comes when you're seeking after him. Do you desire that presence? Is there something in you now that burns here that says, that's what I want? Some of you might even recognize that he's not here in your heart. You look and say, he's missing. He's missing. Where's he at? For those of you who are used to God's presence, you don't want to live without it. You don't want to go without it. Maybe you've had it in the past and it hasn't been here lately. Let me tell you what the answer is. Run to Jesus. That I may know him. God's presence brings peace. If you need peace, the answer is not more finances, not better health, not a better marriage, not a new car, not a new whatever. What the answer is, is God's presence. God's presence brings peace. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.